And we're live on the mats. Um, I had an off day, and I was going to vent a little bit, but it turns out I walked into the jujitsu gym, and I found sitting in his underwear, sweating like a mad horse, one of my favorite people. And he's with us here tonight now, so we've got uh, the one and only Stefan Grunkmeyer on the, on the mic with us tonight. So before we, before we go anywhere, Stefan, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You can take 30 seconds or 10 minutes. I don't care. All right, my name is Stefan Gruckemeyer. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. A uh, little bit about myself. I guess I met Toby through Greg and some other friends. Um, Greg and I have been connected since we were little kids and done jujitsu together. I'm a jujitsu black belt. My wife got her jujitsu black belt a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Look at Congratulations, all these professors. Rashna. Yeah, Jordan, very I high. feel like Jordan and I are uh, <laughs> left out here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we bring the cutter. <laughs> <laughs> Diverse crowd. Oh. Yeah, so um, I live in Utah. I grew up in Washington State. I own a business here still, so I come home from time to time. I'm home for a wedding right now. Came to train, and yeah, Toby caught me in my underwear doing gay shit with Greg in the sauna. <laughs> I was hoping you guys were going to get in that ice bathtub together. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. A little bit huh? too shy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you've been you've been in Utah for what a year and a half now, something like that. I've been there a little bit over two years oh, full time. Yeah. So I first went out there in 2020. Okay. Uh, my family went out. We traveled for a little bit, and then we decided to buy a house in Utah. And then we liked it. The kids we enrolled in school. They made good friends. They were open during the pandemic. Everything was shut down here. So we just wanted to get away to a place where there was more people doing things because I wasn't going to shut my life down. Yeah, where life was continuing. Yeah. So What a a concept. Yeah. We kind of ran ran away from the madness through the pandemic. And and no grandmas died over there, huh? No grandmas died. Wild. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Do you ski? Uh, I snowboard a little bit. Snowboard? Utah is wonderful. It's great. And in the summertime, I ride dirt bikes up in the mountains. Okay. So. I mean, it's just very mountainy, hillless. And from extreme high to high to intermediate, mid elevation. That's right. And I've done some really, uh, the best skiing I've done is like Snowbird and certain places in Utah that are just phenomenal. I'm like less than an hour away from Snowbird. Wonderful. Yeah. You know what's funny is when a storm moves in, a lot of the businesses I notice will say close, you know, because people yeah. are like, oh, it's a powder day. I'm taking the day off, and it's kind of accepted in that community. Yeah. Are yeah. you serious? They, they close businesses for a powder day? When I was going there, it would be a heavy powder day, and a lot of stores were kind of— That's amazing. I mean, it wasn't like Safeway, but, you you know, Joe's yeah. Plumbing, and it's like close, out, out skiing. <laughs> you know, I was like, cool. That's awesome. Hell, yeah. Um, Stefan, tell us about how you got started in martial arts, because this is a pretty interesting story. I got started in martial arts first when I was six years old. Um, I was like a troubled kid that teachers thought I had some learning disability. I wasn't, I wasn't catching up with the other kids, and I'd just stare at the window all day. So my mom put me in karate, and um, that became what I was best at in life. And it gave me kind of something that I could focus on and learn the the discipline and the respect and the different um, character qualities that built me to be someone that wasn't like a fucked up little kid anymore. And uh, so that was where most of my mentors came from, my best friends, um, my wife I met in karate when I was a kid. So that was like a big... You guys have known each other since little kids? Yeah. I didn't know that. Since Mm -hmm. white belt? Not, no, not <laughs> wipeout and jujitsu. Oh, okay. Yeah. But no, we grew up doing karate together. We were both, you know, in the same karate group when we were teenagers. No, no way. Okay. So, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was where I started in martial arts. Um, <clears throat> karate became sort of, uh, as I got older, I realized that it was a dead end road. It was something I didn't want to do long term. And I also had a falling out with my instructor, so I just quit karate. And around that same time, I met a gentleman named Taki Kimura, who was best friends with Bruce Lee uh, when Bruce Lee lived in Seattle. So, how, how old were you when you met him? I was 20 years old okay. when I met Taki. Yeah. I was 19 when I quit karate. I was 20 when I met Taki. 
Nice. And then, How'd you guys meet? Uh, one of the kids I did karate with, I was living in his dad's basement, and his dad was a Seattle cop, and he knew my story, and he really liked me. I worked around his house and stuff for rent, and uh, he told me, well, if you're not doing karate, why don't you meet Taki? I said, who's Taki? He says, well, Taki's this guy I trained with in the 70s and 80s. He was like one of those real badass cops, Seattle cop, buff dude, cool guy. Introduced me to Taki, and Taki became my master, and I trained with him for about 15 years. In between that time, I, at my 10-year reunion, high school reunion, I ran into Greg, and he was doing jiu-jitsu. He was a purple belt. And then he asked me what I was doing. I told him about karate, jikundo, all that. And he invited me to come train with him. So that began my jujitsu journey back in 2009. Okay. Yeah. Where? North Sound? North Sound. Yeah, with Mark and some of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even Daniel. Daniel was a kid, like an 18-year-old kid. Daniel's a black belt here. He was a little kid. My first day when I moved, I lived in Issaquah, and we moved up north, and I was checking out different gyms, and I went to North Sound, and I went there the day he got his purple belt. Daniel. And yeah, yeah, and I was a blue belt, and I was I was like, oh my god, look at this guy! He's made of marble. He was a savage. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That you're talking about, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what discipline did Taki? Was he a master of karate also? No. It well, Bruce Lee's martial art was called Jeet Kune Do. Okay. So that when Bruce Lee first came here, his martial art he came from a kung fu background in China, and so. His martial art that he started when he was in Seattle was called Jun Fan Gung Fu, which means Bruce Lee Kung Fu, basically. Okay. So that was like the first beginning of Bruce Lee's teachings was in Seattle. Taki met Bruce when he was 18, when he first came here. Taki was uh, 36, so he was twice as old as Bruce. And Taki was a broken man because he had lived through uh, World War II time as a J- Japanese man. Uh, his family was thrown into the camps. And he was 18, about to graduate high school with a full-ride scholarship to become a doctor at Western uh, Washington University. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah, and got thrown in the camp. Didn't even get his diploma. Damn. Okay? So he, he had a broken spirit, and Bruce Lee was this 18-year-old, full of piss and vinegar, energetic, like, future superstar. And they were yin and yang. So Taki became his mentor. And Bruce became the guy that made Taki learn how to fight, wear nice clothes, stand up straight, you know, go out at night, have a good time. So they balanced each other. So Bruce was always kicking him in the butt, and Taki was always kind of a wiser figure. Was, was Taki already a martial artist when he met Bruce? Not that I know of. What, what brought them together, do you know? That's a good question. I know that Taki owned a grocery store. So when I met Taki first, it was at his grocery store in Seattle. It was called ShopRite. 20 years ago, if you were driving down I-5, right, we're at Bottlenecks. There used to be a sign that said ShopRite right there. Um, all the big grocery stores moved in, so he shut his store down. But underneath that grocery store is where they used to train. So when I first started training, I saw all Bruce Lee's old training equipment and, you know, cool different pads and, like, weird strengthening exercise things. Yeah. That, you know, it was, it was yeah. a cool experience, like, seeing these remnants of this icon, you yeah. know, and then meeting his best friend. And then having him become my master and basically what I learned in those days um, shaped me, you know, as a man and shaped how I approach everything with my family and with business and friendship. Uh, The principles, which is what Bruce Lee's martial art, it was basically more a set of principles. It was more of a philosophical martial art. It wasn't a set of techniques or exact ways to move. He actually threw all that traditional stuff out the window, and he said, do whatever is most functional. Absorb what is useful. Discard what is useless. Make it uniquely your own. It should, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to do what you know how to do best because this is your body and it's going to be different than my body. So it was never a concrete. It was a fluid um, principle-based martial art that had different ways of attack and different hierarchies of attack and different... You know, it, it branched out beyond technique into more lifestyle okay. stuff is what I learned from talking. Okay. You know? It's, I mean, I love that you're saying all this because I, like every kid, your first interaction with 
uh, martial arts is like the kung fu movies and stuff. And as I got a little older, uh, I got his Bruce Lee's book, The Tao of I'm gonna butcher this Jeet Kun Jeet Kundo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like I really enjoy fighting. But it's like I've never seen Chuck Liddell never wrote memoirs. Rampage Jackson never wrote like the philosophy of a fighter. And that book was interesting because it it incorporated martial arts and philosophy together. And then the deeper I've gotten into this stuff as an adult, I see more how they're related. As a young kid reading it, I'm like, oh, this is cool. It almost seems mystical. But it was like not a higher purpose, but it was a way like in the UFC, you have different types of fighters and a person I would compare close to like a Bruce Lee is like a GSP, you know, Mm -hmm. because he's constantly training. He wants to be a good person. He wants to fortify his mind. It's not just about lifting weights and getting the knockout. It's like this whole presentation is understanding what works best for me in this cage. Mm-hmm. And I, that book I thought was very opening. It, it's just, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's a broad scope involved with it. Yeah. And you get people after that or before, I mean, the, what, uh, the book of the five rings, the Japanese sword fighter guy. And it's, even the leaders like uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. You know, when you see people that ha- go through war or go through trials of fire, that the, the best of them aren't just dummies that want to fight. They're smart people that understand what you can do with strength and what you cannot do with strength. Mm-hmm. And it just opened my eyes to kind of, I don't know, you can be a good guy with it. You can be a bad guy. You can you can try and be honed or you can just throw kicks. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a lot of people don't know that about Bruce Lee. Um, a lot of people think that he's a movie star, which he was. Um, and in just that one genre, he wasn't just a movie star. He was the first Asian superstar. Yeah. You know, before that, he, he broke down a lot of barriers, not just in martial arts, but during a turbulent time in our country with race. He was, came right, and he didn't take sides either. The way that he did things, because he pissed off the, the Asian people when yeah. he taught his art to blacks and whites and whoever. Oh, really? They didn't like that. And he was non-traditional about his approach, too. So he disregarded all of their techniques and their dogmas that they'd built over their masters, 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 hundreds of years of this is what's best. And I know he said, you don't know shit. And then he'd say, neither do I. You only know what's best for you. I only know what's best for me. And so he broke down barriers across the board. And like you say, he was a philosopher. He went to um, University of Washington. He studied philosophy. He left he didn't finish his degree he went to do other things you know neither but did bill gates neither did a lot of successful people <laughs> but right? uh, the back in microsoft era not yeah. currently yeah okay. i mean he had to go become a movie star in <laughs> yeah right <laughs> the fans are waiting <laughs> <laughs> so yeah when he did do that he left washington and he moved down to california and he met the rich and famous people and he started making bigger movies. And so that's when Talkie took over his academy here in Seattle. The Jun Fan Gong Fu Institute is what it was called. And so Talkie kept that torch alive. He felt like Bruce Lee had saved his life because he was a broken man before he met him. And he taught him to be something more. And so he wanted to continue Bruce Lee's legacy after he left. And so he kept the academy going. And Bruce Lee, there's a, another book that you might read. It's cool. It's called Memoirs from a Dragon. And it's all the letters between Taki and Bruce Lee oh. during that time. Um, you yeah, know, okay. yeah, it's pretty cool. cool. It's awesome. And you can see where Bruce is coaching Taki, how to continually you know, evolve and to learn and what to teach. He was so specific on you know, where the best place to get the uniforms were and how to talk to this lady or whatever. Like He was so detailed, and his handwriting was like calligraphy. Like Everything that he did was top-notch. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so it's, it's really fascinating to see this story on paper. And then towards the end, 
Um, Bruce Lee was always trying to get Taki to go be in his movies and to follow him into fame. And Taki's the most humble person you'll ever meet. And so he was always telling him, like, and he this is this is Taki talking. So he'd say, I don't know what that Chinese man wanted with a dumb Jap like me. You know, that's the way that he would talk. <laughs> uh, but bottom line is he saw something he loved in Taki and he wanted Taki to come with him. And so finally he broke him down and he said, Taki, we're going on a world tour. I'm going to be making movies in all these different places and you're coming with me and we're doing it together. And uh, he mailed him the tickets. And then before, right before that um, world tour, Bruce Lee died. Oh, shoot. So they never got to do it, you know? Yeah. Dang. Do you believe in the curse? I don't know. Taki never talked about that. He just said he died of an overdose of allergy medicine. That's what he always said. Bruce so. Lee did? Yeah. Or, oh. They don't, I mean, they don't know why technically, but yeah. it, it, allergy medicine is what was written on the police report. Yeah. So. And then Brandon. Yeah. Very. Spooky. Odd, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm well, not familiar. He died on the set of The Crow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, movie. but he was, he was shot though, right? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it yeah. a blank? Like a stunt gun, or but there's an idea that there's a curse. I mean, a you Bruce, probably know uh, this better than myself. I mean, I I watched the movie The Dragon, <laughs> yeah. like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, and I do know that there was like a mirror, some sort of feng shui mirror above his house that like broke right before he died or something. Yeah. So there's yeah. like some weird stuff. That's um, the curse. Is like that they. Okay, never mind. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't following. What there was, was supposed to be some sort of curse put on the family. <coughs> yeah, and I don't know what from if it's from him teaching honkies and colored people <coughs> back in the day, pissing off the triads. Which apparently I've heard that he pissed off the Chinese triad gang. Yeah. <coughs> so yeah. who knows? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, but he did tell Taki that he thought he was going to die. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So he had, a, he had a premonition. He had a premonition. Interesting. I think a lot of great men do. Mm-hmm. You know? That that sense of confidence. You know, your place in this universe. And you're like, I'm going to be great, but I'm not going to be great for a long time. So yeah. let's live well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hot fire burns out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, him and Chuck Norris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't like Chuck Norris. Okay. I... Just, I I so <laughs> who doesn't love Walker listen, Texas Ranger? I <laughs> me because <laughs> I did karate, yeah. And Chuck Norris was like a world champion in a time where no offense, but everyone sucked at karate in that league, right? Okay, um, he would have gotten his ass kicked by so many better dudes than him in following years, and somehow he got like this status where everybody makes jokes about how badass he is all the time. But he never was that badass. I, th- I think the jokes are based on how ridiculous the show Walker, Texas Ranger is. Really? I think so. I think that Chuck Norris is convinced everybody really thinks he's that badass. Uh, and I think he puts on this humble act, you know, where he acts like, oh, it's no big deal. Aw, shucks. But yeah, keep telling jokes about <laughs> I, me. I, and it's fucking me, annoying. To me, the reason that. they're funny <laughs> is because of how campy, like, the Delta Force movies and the Walker, Texas. Like, every episode of the TV show ended with a roundhouse kick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, In a I, cowboy boot. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> to me, that's where those jokes come from and why they're so funny. But yeah, I don't know. Um, well, do fuck you, you, Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of talking about action stars. Do you have, besides Bruce Lee and stuff, uh, do you have other people? Like, I love Kung Fu and, like, Michael, was it Michael J. Hall? Uh, and then Ip Man. I mean, there's certain people that still do choreography and that type of fighting and yeah do you do you have other genres is jackie chan legit oh fuck yeah okay yeah jackie chan's legit he does all his own stunts he actually was in a movie at least one movie with bruce lee was he yeah okay. um so he's legit i like him i like jean-claude van damme just because of course obviously is. the yeah. 80s <laughs> movies well grew up on blood sport kickboxer one so yeah. yeah i mean it's the, and the dude's like 
old now and still can kick good. He's pretty badass. Is he really? Yeah. I liked how he developed a coke habit and just would do crazy stuff. Yeah, man. Like, there was an incident where a car drove into a canal in Brussels and in two in the morning, like, TMZ of that area was just people caught him on his cell phone and he ran over to the canal. He's like, I'm going to pull this thing out by myself. (laughs) It's like, that's cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) We know what that is. Oh, shit. I feel like uh, who's who's the other? Uh, he's the one that uh, Kimbo Slice. Him and Kimbo Slice were working. You see that clip of like him punching. Uh, Kimbo Slice is like doing his thing. He's like hit my hand, hit my hand, and then like he's sm- the guy smacks him. I can't remember some a black dude who's just legit. Like there's a bunch of actors that are legit. There's Michael J Hall, and then even was the guy that did Tybo. Billy Blankenship wasn't wasn't he in a few yeah, like he, early nineties movies? Oh yeah, like martial art ones. I know that he was um, also a karate world champion. Was yeah yeah in a later time. And one of the guys that used to coach me, Toki Hill, when I was a kid, yeah. he would come to like the training camps and stuff. Yeah, he was one of the main coaches for the United States. He was like the rival with Billy Blanks. Oh, really? Yeah, they would, like, swap first place every other year. Did he ever fight? Like, in the 90s, didn't they do a karate combat thing, like, before UFC, where they're, like, in kind of, like, a concave kind of dish type thing? They still do that. Mm -hmm. Do they still do that? Well, I think that they just started doing that, like, five years ago or something. That karate combat. Yeah, Yeah, but there is... Full combat or full contact karate or whatever the the hell they call it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they did another thing, and it was based off of karate point-style fighting. Uh, and it was like a big open, kind of like that dish, but not quite. I don't. Know. But I thought he might have competed in that. Maybe. Well, was it who? Who's uh, who's Demolition Man? Uh, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Passenger Fifty Seven's so, an so amazing movie. So Wesley Snipes and uh, Billy were like trying out for a role, and I guess Wesley Snipes got it. I don't remember what role, and it just sent his career oh, just soaring, and then. Billy Blanks doing time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he just uh, like, probably uh, got richer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like that yeah, was like yeah. they were like dueling for this thing, and oh, yeah, he ends up getting it and fucking <laughs> took off. But that was like an era where like there was a bunch of legitimate motherfuckers like in Hollywood. Yeah. So I think that's partly why like growing up it was always like, is know, Wesley like, Snipes legit? Like he actually, I think he's like choreography is legit. Okay. But I thought okay. he was like somewhat. I mean, to do that kind of stuff, you have to be somewhat legit, right? Okay. I would imagine. Yeah. You tell me. Blade can is there, kill is there everyone. A yeah. certain amount of form that you see <laughs> in movies that you're like, yeah, that guy can actually kick, or that guy can fucking strike. Uh, yeah, but I don't think it translates. I don't think you can watch someone in a movie and then be can like, as a martial artist, be convinced that they could apply that in a real fight. Like even Van Dam. Um, I don't know how well he would do. I mean, obviously, he's got beautiful kicks and combos. <laughs> oh, you know? beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So if he's got the right timing and the grit and the toughness and the delivery and the footwork and everything that he can put that together, it's a whole other set of attributes that you don't see when they're on film. So yeah. you can't really say, oh, yeah, because this guy can do that on film. That means he can apply it. Easy to and stick in the pocket when you know you're not going to get hit, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, not to change the subject, but there's another. (laughs) (laughs) As we did 20 times. Yeah. Um, All about rabbit holes here. Something else that I've always found interesting is that you didn't, like, if you guys can't see Stefan right now, but he looks like uh, a human embodiment of a G.I. Joe action figure. (laughs) But you you didn't look like that. You you grew up asthmatic, correct? Yeah. And how did you correct that? Uh, Breathing techniques. I learned breathing techniques when I was in high school. Yeah. Because uh, I had, my asthma was getting worse and worse. I had really bad allergies. I was just a sick little skinny kid. And my mom was always trying to make me better. And she found this person that taught the breathing techniques called Buteyko Method. B-U-T-E-Y-K-O. This guy, Dr. Buteyko from Australia, uh, wrote this protocol of breathing. And this lady taught me how to breathe correctly. And I was able to get off all the medicine and then I just sort of never stopped doing that. I've just integrated that breath work kind of into my autonomic nervous system. So anytime I feel like 
my lungs are tight or my immune system's compromised. I just rely on that and it helps me become more healthy. And was this something you practiced 10 minutes a day, an hour a day, multiple times? Like an hour a day. Okay. Yeah. For, for one straight session? For like most of my high school. That's, man, at that age to be able to sit and focus like that is pretty impressive. What like, would you do? Like giant breaths in and long exhales out or like? You slowly breathe and yeah. you breathe in the middle of your capacity. You don't blow all your air out. You don't breathe all your air in and you kind of go in a real steady figure eight in and out. And you try to do it so slow that it's uncomfortable. So, like, you're working all those intercostal yeah, and muscles you, you, in the you middle? Yeah, you focus on your diaphragm, yeah, yeah. you know? So you don't breathe with your lungs, you breathe with your diaphragm. Yeah, belly breathing a little belly bit. Belly breathe, you control it in and out. And then every so often you can breathe in a little deeper and then blow out halfway and hold it. And then you hold it until you can't hold it anymore. But then once you start breathing, you don't pant. You go back into that smooth figure eight type breathing. Yeah. And you maintain control over it. Okay. And just doing that fixed my asthma. Do you have crazy yogi diaphragm control? Yeah. Yeah. You can do the side to sides. I can do some of that stuff. Yeah. 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 You want to see? <laughs> <laughs> Don't kinda, kinda pause. Me, yeah. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> oh, shit. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, especially now, kind of post-2020, where everybody's starting to realize that big pharma and modern day medicine isn't what it used to be. I think there's more of a uh, turn back toward traditional Eastern medicine, which you said this came from Australia, but the name sounds Asian. Is that, is it didn't originate in Australia, did it? I don't, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know where this guy picked it up from. Okay. What's it called again? Buteyko. Buteyko. Yeah. B-U-T-E-Y-K-O? Yep. Right, I'll have to look that up because it is fascinating. I've told a lot of people that have asthma about it, but it seems like not very many people care. They want no, because they don't want to put in pill. the work. Yeah. 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 It takes effort. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. And to me, it's mind-boggling that somebody would just put chemicals in their body when they could control it on their own. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Or even, uh, I was watching a show last night called... Um, how to change your mind. And it's all about psychedelic research. Yep. And, you know, the, there's legitimate research coming out of Johns Hopkins University and a couple other places that psilocybin and MDMA and some of these other uh, psychedelic drugs have real positive uh, mental health effects on people after only a single experience. And so to me it's, and this isn't like... Uh, new research. This has been going on since the early 2000s. And, you know, when you talk to people who are hesitant about it, but they have no problem going to a doctor and getting a once a day pill or a twice a day pill that they're going to take for the rest of their life. And they're like, yeah, no, this, this is, this seems totally fine. Where when you suggest, Hey, you know, if you go in the right setting and eat a couple of these special mushrooms, you, you may never have to take another medication in your life. And, and immediately, no, 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 I could never do that. Yeah. It's a fucking mushroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to a pill that's stamped out in a lab somewhere. Blows well, my mind. Well, look, I think if a doctor prescribed a pill or a, a mushroom, it would, it would change some people's minds, though. Yeah, I guess like, maybe. Oh, this, can't, this wouldn't hurt me. Yeah. You know, but the reality is, is like, well. It's stigmatized. <laughs> Because yeah, it was stigmatized it was a, as everything. Schedule I mean, one at some they, point. Uh, remember all those videos growing up of the Reef egg in the frying pan? Yeah. And it's like, this yeah. is your brain well, on it, drugs. It makes me and nervous, though. Sorry to interrupt you. No, it okay. makes me nervous to think about taking mushrooms because it's like... It should. The Yeah, it's it's just like a, you know, what if you go crazy? What if well, it, they, they do say there happen, are certain people, like you if should. you are uh, prone to schizophrenia, schizophrenia. Yeah, but how do you know you're prone to schizophrenia? Well, that's that's, that's you why you go talk to a doctor first. Not yeah. saying you should like run out to your uh, your buddy's house and pick some mushrooms out of the cow patty and get high as fuck. Um, if if you think that you are or you have family history of schizophrenia, then you should talk to a doctor. Which, again, it's not widespread. You have to go into one of these special research programs, which sucks, because it'll never become mainstream until Big Pharma can put a patent on it, is probably what what the big holdup is. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it'll I, never become me. Like, I don't think that Big Pharma would ever endorse something. I look at those psychedelics like a red pill. And most people don't want to eat the red pill. Yeah. And definitely nobody that's in control of the matrix wants you to eat the red pill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Um, that's weird that that says matrix right there. Yeah. Does it really, oh, shit. It's the new Versa cli- or the stair that's, climber there. Well, that's where we are. And it's got a little red pill in the A. <laughs> <laughs> Did we eat mushrooms before we came? <laughs> oh, it's happening. Oh man. Um, no, I don't go ahead. I don't have anything. I'm I'm dragging tonight. I had a I had a rough day and we've got uh it's been a rough week. Yeah, uh, but we're we got rifle camp this yeah. weekend, so Yeah. So that'll be or I mean I guess when people listen to this it'll had been. Right. Uh, yeah, by the time you guys listen to this, rifle camp will have been a week in the rearview mirror. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm excited for it. Hopefully it goes good. We'll have to tell you in the intro. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, what What are you guys going to do at rifle camp? So the, the theme of the camp is based around the concept of the American Minuteman during the, the Revolutionary War. Uh, non-professional soldiers, citizens who were fed up with the king and, you know, they, they had to maintain their homestead and their job and their families and whatnot, but they also took the time to participate in a little bit of, uh, you know, training and martial skills so that should the British send their invasion force, they would be ready to resist. So we're going to be learning uh, some, I should say, we're going to be touching on what the army would describe now as skill level one infantry tasks. So rifle marksmanship, um, patrolling, first aid, and we're going to dabble a little bit into radio communications this year. I'm, I'm not spun up enough on it yet to where I can confidently teach it. So it's not technically part of the curriculum, but I think we're going to, we're going to give kind of a little introduction to it and a little bit of field antenna uh, theory, whatnot, but really, it's going to be rifle marksmanship, patrolling, uh, land navigation. Uh, sorry, I missed land navigation, like traditional map and compass reading, and then uh, first aid. Badass. Yeah. It's like Boy Scouts for adults. I was just going to say, yeah. when uh, I was getting a cavity filled yesterday, and the, the dentist was asking me about it, and I said, it's, it's basically <laughs> Boy Scout camp for grown men. <laughs> yeah. I got a compass in the mail the other day from Amazon, and it has, I've never, I'm such a dork. I just use gps or my phone like so i've never really used a compass and it's got all these like line of sight areas bubble levels like it's got an angle tilt meter oh you got some crazy freaking yeah. surveyors instrument well, dude, we'll yeah take the plastics off them together <laughs> <I'm> re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you guys you guys take the plastic off and put it in your pack before you show up like you know what you're doing yeah yeah no. That's what I'll do. Rubbed it in the dirt a little yeah, bit. Right. Oh, this old thing? Yeah. <laughs> this is my grandpa. Uh, been kicking it around for years. It says Amazon on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So how are you liking it down there? Down I don't love know, just keep switching up. but Yeah, I love you know. Utah. Uh, it's beautiful. The weather is nice most days. It's strange coming back home and... Right now it's gorgeous here, so I love it in August. But yeah, it's like tough when to I be Washington in the summer, exactly. But when I come in the winter, it's dreary. Yeah, I just wonder how I grew up in this and lived in this oh, my whole life. Yeah. Life yeah. becomes normal. You get it's used not like to what everywhere. you do every day. No, I, I don't oh, because I. I mean, I grew up on the east side where we see the sun in the winter too, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it still fucks with me, man. By by January, February, and it's like we haven't seen the sun in five months. Yeah, and it's like, oh God, I just need a little bit of sunshine, man. And yeah. uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, people are kind of flocking here from California and everywhere else, and I wonder if the first winter, if they just go, oh no, what did we do? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, I, you know, the thing is, though, at least they're moving into a situation like a economical situation here, where you can you can make enough money to move back out to a different place. Because there's a lot of people I've heard that are like. Oh, I'm gonna move down to Tennessee, yeah. and they, you know, they get down there, and then they go, "I don't have money to go on vacation <laughs> to get back to see my family this winter." Yeah, like what do I, what am I gonna do? Oh yeah. shit! And they take that big pay cut, and then all of a sudden it's just like, 
the houses ain't much cheaper, you know, the groceries aren't that much cheaper, you know. Yeah, we and were going to move to taking, Missoula, Montana, and it was a 60% pay cut. Yeah. And it's like, Guess but not. I mean, if you're set up for it, you're set up for it, right? But if yeah. you're not, it's tough to, you know, if you find out you don't like it. And I, I obviously am not trying to talk anybody out of doing something that they're interested in or want to end up pursuing, but it just, it's something to kind of think about is like, you're, you're burning the boats in some scenarios, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And you, you kind of had yourself set up a little bit because you had your business here, right? I had my business here. And uh, I don't know. I guess I I see what you're saying. And I think it probably resonates with most people to be cautious about a big move like that and to have like a healthy level of concern over finances um, and your ability to provide for your family or whoever your dependents are. But at the same time, I've looked at my friends over, like, for instance, Greg, different people that have basically just thrown caution to the wind and said, fuck it, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And honestly, now that I'm thinking about looking at you, Toby, uh, that's what I see happening with you as well, with the programs that you guys are talking about that you're doing together. Um, Being connected with people that are at the same frequency and resonating the same thoughts and motivations uh, I think it's a powerful thing, and I don't think that most people have the courage to enter into that zone because they'd rather eat the blue pill, yeah. for lack yeah. of better words, because oh, yeah. uh, once you eat the red pill, you're on your own, you know, and you're in this crazy fucking reality where there's pitfalls and you can lose your ass, but at the same time, you're living, and yeah. for whatever reason... It seems like if it's God or the universe or whatever, people that take that risk are rewarded, you know? People that open a door uh, or shut a door before they open a door and just have the courage to take one step, put it in front of the other, they seem to, in the end, do better and have more freedom and control over their life. So maybe it's less responsible, but at the same time, I mean, it could have gone wrong for me, honestly. I mean, I left my business. I told my employees they have to do everything. I gave them a date. (laughs) And, and if they, you know, didn't want to do that, then I would have lost my ability to make money off of my company that I built for 18 years. But uh, I got lucky, kind of, you know, and part of that's because they're loyal to me and they work really hard because I reward them. And I think a lot of it's luck. I think a lot of it's circumstance. I had a good dad. He taught me how to do business. I have a good network. I'm in a good area. I've got good friends. I got, you know, you guys. I feel like, Toby, you're one of those guys. I, I feel comfortable knowing that you live like five miles, ten miles, whatever, from my rock yard. Five, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why I've made sure that Willie, who runs my rock yard, knows my friends and does business with them and that they're on the same page. And, you know, whenever you needed uh, your first, I don't know if you even used the back property. One, one time. One time. Yeah. But um, I was like, yeah, just get your thing going. Because I just saw you taking that step. And I was like, you have to do And you were concerned about, I don't know, this or that. I'm like, just fucking do it. You're going to kill it, bro. I knew it. You know, and you're not even scratching the surface where you're headed. Well, I hope. I don't know. Uh, Jordan and I were having this conversation before we all came up here. We were out shooting arrows outside. And, uh, you know, some some days it's like I'm full of piss and vinegar and I'm motivated and I'm happy that I'm doing it. And there's other days that it's like, why the fuck am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's it's so I have a day job. I have training Northwest. We make this commitment for the podcast once a week. There's family. There's kids stuff. It's like. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. And some days I'm just tired and worn down. Like today, I can barely keep my eyes open right now. It's yeah. like, man, why are we, is this all worth it? And I, I, hope it, I hope it all pans out. I hope that in five years we look back on it and go like, whew, I'm glad I stayed the course. But there's, there's no backing down now. You will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're, I'm, in it, I'm in it to the end. Um, That's exactly what he was saying, though. Like... The red pill personality compared to the blue pill personality. If you're blue pill, you're just going to go work for someone else. And yeah, you'll get raises and you can work your way up. But to really have an effect on this world, to make life-changing money, to do things that are recognized in this life takes risk. It takes chance. It takes the people being like, maybe this isn't the best idea but i have a feeling it'll work 
you know, and that I same thing. I started my own business years ago and it wasn't like there was guidelines, you know, and you're going to have days that feel successful and you're crushing it. But then part of living is having days that you get crushed and wear you down. And that's okay. And that's and normal. That's part of the... <laughs> and then you have business for a few more years and you start to learn that it's ups, it's downs, it's ups, it's downs. And that's what makes it that risk, that that feeling of you're doing it, but also, yeah, you get these crazy highs and these crazy lows, but as you progress, the highs get higher and higher and higher, and you never have that just working for someone else and doing what your job is. When you get to dictate what you want your job to be or your vision to be and you, you sacrifice it, that's where the magic happens. Even if it doesn't make sense. I mean, fucking look at Columbus. They didn't know if there's land on the other <laughs> side. And now... Fuck it, let's Well, go. he used to have a holiday named after him. Now it's Indigenous People Day. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It takes those type of people that are like, I'm going to make this happen. And like you said, that fuck it, I'm going to do it. Sometimes that's... Not sometimes. That's, that's, that's what makes everything happen. Look at landing on the moon. Yeah, I read somewhere that most people will, they'll have an idea and dismiss it within three to five seconds. And so I, I remember reading that and then being like, oh shit, every time I would think of something I could do to become self-employed, I would let it, I'd be like, oh, that'll never work out. I could never I do that. I should start was, a business. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at some point I was like, you know what, we have, just have to follow through on something, right? Yeah. You can't can sit here and have all these ideas and let them all go for year after year after year after year. And then someday you're going to be 65 and you never put your neck on the line. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You never put yourself out there. You just forfeited your dreams yeah. towards another man's dreams for a paycheck yeah. and security. Yeah. And in doing so, you just became a slave. Yeah. You got nothing. Yeah. And so honestly, like the last. <laughs> Jordan <laughs> took a huge. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those Sorry, things Jordan. where it's like. Well, I mean, because I. It's good to hear that. Though. It's, yeah. yeah. And it's you need. Everybody needs to hear it. Because it's like, yeah, I know I'm not doing what I want to do. And I know I'm like, okay, just a little bit more. I'm going to get by. You know, I'm doing this. And it's like, I, I want to open up a business or do this or that or the side hustle stuff that we were kind of talking about and the doing fences or fucking cooking doing a doing a barbecue spot or something like that it'd be like yeah those things like the feeling i've had doing the side hustle stuff is so much more rewarding than any day at work like i i can't even it's I, it's not even comparable no, it, working it feels for another good human. when you're heading out in the morning and you're you're doing it for yourself mm -hmm. and there there's a different there's a little bit of a bounce in your step as opposed mm -hmm. to you know, you know, the alarm clock goes off, you go through your little routine of coffee and a couple eggs, head it's out like, the door, get onto the same old exit on the freeway, heading into traffic, and it's like, fuck my life. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I don't know, it was six months or a year ago, Greg and I were talking about vision boards. And I, I haven't actually made a, you know, tag board board, but my vision now is... I don't want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and turn my truck toward traffic. I want to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and turn my truck the opposite direction out toward the mountains to do the things that matter to me. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm worried. I have no idea if I'll make it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Is That's the scary part is I might put in all this effort for 10 years and maybe more and find out that it never went anywhere. You know what I mean? But at least at least we're trying. Mm -hmm. At least the effort is there. Well, I, I think there's something about, like, the positivity and attitude and energy other people are willing to put into it, too. That, like, because, like, just going out and helping out on range days and stuff. Yeah. Like, I'd love to just do that. You know, that's yeah. fun as hell. And yeah. it's not, it, it's, I know that I'll do whatever I can to get that going, you know, and spread the word and say things and come out and work or do this or do that. Because, like, it's cool to see your buddies succeed. And that's kind of like the nice thing around since I've met everybody in this group of guys that we have this like tribe, um, you know, Stefan and Greg and Mike and Tobin and, and, you know, I'm wearing the <laughs> compassionate Viking, uh, forest school shirt right now. Like it, it's just, there's so many guys that are like starting these things 
and it's coming from this place and the the energy here and everybody just came, it keeps helping build each other. But everyone you know, Christy's got her thing, like you know, everybody's everybody's just like moving forward and trying to help everybody grow and build and but I noticed and this is duality of life, like everyone has the same gripe before the success though. It's like I put in for this work or this job, I'm making other people money. I'm not happy doing this thing. And that's what you have to do to get to a point where you're like, I'm sick of this shit. I rather drive towards the, I'm going to figure something out so I can drive towards the mountains instead of driving towards the city, you know, um, distractions, but (laughs) that's what has to happen to propel you into, I think, like, I'm going to be great, I'm going to start a business, it really takes a lot of getting your nose rubbed into shit to be like, I'm done with this. I will figure the next step out because this is killing me on the inside. And as much as it's nice, like, oh, these people are growing and everyone's, like, making these great businesses and trying, everyone here for the past 10, 15, 20 years has also been like, man, I've been waking up at 4 a.m. I've been putting in the grind. I think that's a catalyst for success. You have to have moments of just shit in your life to be like, I'm done with this. I'm over. I'll yeah, figure it out. A, it's a little bit of like uh, back against the wall or burn the boats. You know what I mean? It's like you realize I'm staring down the barrel of uh, 25 more years of this. So I, I got to figure some shit out. Yeah, I I mean, that's why it's like uh, everyone always talks about trust fund babies or rich kids. And it's like you can even look at the stats. How many of them throw their life into the garbage? They get addicted to drugs. They get addicted to just when you have all these options and everything's given, what's the purpose of creating something better? Life is easy. There's no motivation. You know, and I kind of, someone was talking about it the other day with Donald Trump and they're like, oh, he had it easy because he got a million dollars from his dad. And it's like, well, fuck, look at all these trust fund babies. How many of them get 20 million, 30 million and they squander it away to give opportunity given to you and create something better? You know, Greg. Yeah, he he doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs. Say what you will about his business practices, but he took that trust fund money and got after it. And he created a next generation of kids that do the same thing. That's and how true. difficult yeah. is that when you have everything? Look how successful his kids are, and that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that that's rare that that happens because most people, like we're saying, all of us have been putting in the work, and now we're trying to achieve another level of, you know, Financial independence, greatness, well-being, family, you know, all these things that make us grow not only as an individual but as a character. And it, it's weird. Everyone requires it. Yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying as far as, like, the group goes, it's like it's like watching, you know, it's, it's the guy who ran the first four-minute mile. And then all of a sudden there was, like, four or five more guys right after that did the same thing. And it was untouchable. It was unthinkable. And then all of a sudden, boom, and then the next thing you know. It's the realization th- that it can be done. Yeah, and, yeah. like, I think that's happening here. Yeah. And I think yeah, people I are feeding off that. And they're going, yeah. you know what? Yeah, fuck it. I'm going for it. Yeah. And you know? along the way, you're going to have days where you're, like, totally overwhelmed because there's just too much shit going on. And that energy can either overcome you or you can harness it and instead of becoming well it's okay to be overwhelmed for a little bit but eventually you have to take that energy and you have to use it towards a motivation and it can become incredibly empowering when you flip that coin over and instead of using that energy as a reason to be overwhelmed you use it as a reason to realize that you can do whatever the hell that you want you're your own man right and then people look at you like you're weird because you're not conforming, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They look at you like, how come you built that place without asking the government for permission? <laughs> you know, and, and they think that you're bad for not following yeah. rules that are bullshit. Or it scares them a little bit. They're like, wait, you didn't get a permit? You didn't wear a mask how, when you went in the grocery store? How did you get away with that? And they're, they're confused and scared and perplexed. And 
Yeah, how how did you do that? Well, I just did I it. I just fucking did it. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. do it too. Guess what? If we all did that, nobody could make us do stupid shit anymore. Uh, yeah. You know? And that's, maybe that's part of the reason if this, what Jordan is talking about is coming out of a jujitsu gym is that raises all your self-confidence because A, you're, you, you come in here and you get a microcosm of some days you have a wildly successful night and some days you just get your face rubbed in shit for an hour and a half and you leave here going like, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't belong in this room. And then, but then it also, through time, raises your self-confidence, raises your willingness to have conflict to where people say, well, how did you do that without a permit? You say, I just fucking did it. Because if someone had showed up, I'd have got right in their face and said, fuck you, you need to leave. And if you want to stop me, you're going to have to come back with a lot more people and you're going to have to fight me and kill me to stop me. And that's kind of where Greg and I are at with, with the property out there at the river is we're going to do what the fuck we want. And if somebody wants to come stop us, you better bring a lot of men and you better bring a lot of guns because we're not stopping. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that energy is, uh, I was telling the guys downstairs before this that like, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time and years competing and had I had that, that click, that like switch that I've developed here, yeah. Um, earlier in life, my life would be had been different. My pa- the paths I would have gone down would have been different, or yeah. my my success in competing may have been different. You know, um, just which is I, why at I, a certain point you feel the responsibility, like. Uh, what Eli? You guys know Eli Blue oh, Belt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were oh talking yeah, about we were talking about him downstairs. Yeah. I spent a half hour with that kid uh-huh. today. You know, Greg was like, "Smash the shit out of this kid." He's he's a phenom. He's uh-huh. he's an yeah. up and coming phenom. He wants to go. Yeah. yeah, he's nasty. He's a savage. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't even fucking realize what a savage he is yet. And so we had a talk, and um, you know, he's figuring out what he's doing with his life. He's asking me, "How did you get your wife? I got a girlfriend. I want her to train with me. This and that." And then he's like, yeah, I made friends with some people here and they train and like that, the guy's cool. And so his girlfriend's becoming friends with my girlfriend and we're going to get married. I'm like, why are you asking me? Like you already know, obviously you're doing everything right. You make friends and then you build relationships with people that do jujitsu, which are way fucking cooler than everybody else. Sorry. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then your wife's going to train. But like there was a, in the conversation, he kept like asking me for guidance and like telling me what he's doing. And I'm, and he's just, he doesn't even know his capabilities yet he's like a kid you know what i mean yeah so then when you say man if i would have known this earlier and then you see a kid like that walk in it's like i better fucking just tell this kid a couple things yeah. you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no that's true very much but, yeah, he, but he's, amount- he's also put himself in the right spot to yeah. learn you know what i mean to he's put himself around a lot of good people to receive that information right and I, that motherfucker will draw a target on his back you know what he said to me? He, oh, he's, he go, yeah. He, he goes, did that work when I looked in your eyes? Because <laughs> Greg was like smashing. So I was like knee spiraling into the solar plexus as I yank his collar up and hip yeah. and just grind into him. Yeah. And then other knee on the face for a little bit of while, you know. Uh-huh. So he told me to grind him. I grind the motherfucking kid. <laughs> uh, but while I'm doing it. <laughs> He's like, all, and then he kind of like looks at me like a little puppy dog. And I was like, fuck you looking in my eyes for bitch, you know? And then he brings it up after I'm like, yeah, what the fuck was that? And he goes, ah, I, I was just wondering like, if I like looked you in the eyes, if you'd like give me a little sympathy and then I could get out. And I'm like, who the yeah. fuck? You're a blue belt trying to get in my head, motherfucker. You know? yeah, dude. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, he's fucking hilarious. Oh my God. This yeah. is hysterical. Yeah. Oh, 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 dude, and he'll he'll go. He'll go for you. Oh yeah. If you don't if you don't put him on his back and grind on him, he will fucking not hesitate to have done the same thing to you. Oh yeah. And I that's that. and that's the fucking that's the target he'll put on his back and it's like it doesn't matter who the fuck it is. He's going to go for him whether you have got a black belt around your waist or you, I mean Joel went for 26 minutes with him, right? Like That's what I heard. Um and it's like it's just uh, that that uh fuck you. I'm going to I'm just going to get you. You know, yeah, my um, son has that. He's 17 now, mm-hmm. and I've been getting progressively more and more abusive towards him on the mats. <laughs> I mean, and it started when just wait he, till you're 18. The thing <laughs> is, I found out he's just unbreakable. Yeah. This kid, you know, 
like when I'm measuring my pressure and wondering if I go 10% more, whether or not it's going to break his jaw and then going 5% more, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm right on the fence here with yeah. this kid. And then what happened a couple of weeks ago, you, you guys see this little scar? Yeah. Uh, yes. So I just, after whooping his ass for a couple of rounds, threw his legs to the side, did like a diving Toriando, and he brought up an elbow and just busted my lip open. Uh. <laughs> and he goes, push, and just starts pumping blood out. <laughs> and he points at me, he goes, I won. You got to quit. <laughs> <laughs> and right at that moment, I knew it was like God fucking shocked me with a lightning bolt saying, hey, bitch, like, you don't need to keep I doing know. this to this kid. You yeah. know what I mean? He's got yeah. it. And it was weird because me and him would talk shit on the way to the gym. <laughs> yeah. And then I would fuck his world. Yeah. And then we would talk shit on the way back from the gym. <laughs> and then we would like hug and say we love each other before we go to bed. And oh, it yeah. became this fucked up love language. Like <laughs> they say there's five. I think one, they missed one like ass whooping. Like me and him have really bonded over the past six yeah. months. Physical touch. <laughs> and then I realized like. Yeah, one of us was going to get hurt, so it was probably a good thing that I did this. <laughs> oh, and then now he's funny. still talking, but I'm just like, all right, I can't fucking do it anymore. Yeah. You know, I got to let what, him. What belt is he? He's a blue belt. Blue belt? Did he do kid stuff, or he started, like, adult kind of white belt? He's been belt? at it for, like, probably nine years. Okay. Yeah. God damn. Well, f- yeah. That's he's good. Yeah, he's he not, beats yeah. Most, yeah. not a blue belt. Yeah. He beats, like, half the dudes in the gym. Yeah. Least. Yeah. And your wife's a savage, too. Yeah. I met your wife uh, way back in the day uh, doing jiu-jitsu up here, but then she would stick around for kickboxing. And instantly, I noticed, I'm like, oh, you have very crisp angles with, like, your the, everything. Everything was awesome. Just throwing kicks and just cutting, like, that 90-degree foot. Perfect pivot and everything. She's and then athlete, right? I yeah. learned, yeah. yeah, she competed in the Olympics. <clears throat> well, she competed in the world championships of karate. Ah. Um, the division that she competed in at that level was called synchronized kata. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you guys know what kata is when mm-hmm. they do a form. Yep. And it was three girls at the same time that would do it. Okay. And her and her two friends were the representatives of the United States. So when they would go to international tournaments like Pan American Worlds, all that, they would fly them out there. And they would beat everybody except Japan. Japan. So they would get second place. She got second place twice at Worlds doing that. And she also... Did they beat them or Japan won because Japan's karate? Uh, I think it's more the second thing, but the reality is... That was a fun chapter of our life, but it was fucking stupid, you know? <laughs> Doing katas. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. she's... It's show. Uh, she's a real badass now. She's won world, master worlds at every belt, blue, purple, yeah. brown. Now she just got her black, or we're going back in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah. You going this year, Jordan? I'm not going. No? My back is all jacked uh, up right now. You excuses. Were, you were a savage there last year, excuses. bro. Um, yeah, so she's won that no tournament deal. every year. And uh, she's a world-class karate athlete. She also did kumite, which is the fighting side of karate. And she did that at a high level, too. So How how long did she do that? She did it from, like, I think she was probably eight or so when she started. And then she did it all the way through college into her (laughs) mid-20s. No way. Yeah. So she's got combat. But you're telling me you can do katas. Yeah. And tell how badass somebody is, but no. you can't watch. Oh, I was gonna say no. That's you can't thing. watch Bruce Lee throw some kicks online, or you know, you can see someone's physical awareness of their body, and like you know, you throw a kick, you want to cut your foot ninety degrees, you want to either step for the kick or you want to pivot with the kick. Yeah, and it's like when you see people like do kick the into the correctly. air. And do it right, right? You don't have a bag for resistance to come back. When you're throwing everything crisp and doing it in the air, you th- that person has a high awareness of their body, the placement, how to move, and stuff. Now, does that translate to fighting? Not necessarily. You're going to have a one-up on people because you know the mechanics. But when you're doing your katas, ah, yeah. It's it, like one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Definitely learn, you know, body awareness, punch, kick, hip, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But it doesn't always translate into the fighting. No. And even karate, when they do the kumite, the point fighting, you know, that's also just one piece of the puzzle. Like yeah. that distance fighting. And yeah. 
to get a point, you need to look like you got a point. So it's almost like borderline on the TV stuff, right? Like making yeah. it look pretty yeah. and snappy, you know? Yeah. Um, so when you learn that, yeah, you're really good at that. But if you're going to get into a real fight, that might help you. That might not against a dude that just is a basic level of boxing and is going to knock your ass out. But if you know that and then you learn other pieces of the puzzle and put it together to make a whole picture, then that's where you get the George St. Pierre's and the Wonder yeah. Boys yeah. and the guys that can now take that traditional aspect of the art and plug it back in and you get a Leona Machida knocking people out with front kicks and doing traditional karate and yeah. whooping ass with it. It's possible. But you can't most of those guys aren't really that badass though. I would say the best argument for that is like Michael Venom Page. I do think that point style karate fighting base of extremely in, out, in, out, right? You're just, you're going for an attack and you're trying to get back because you don't want to get scored on, you know? And it creates for a very, I'm here to deliver an attack and then boom, I'm out the door as you counter strike. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, Venom Page is amazing. Yeah. Some of his highlights, but I mean... He's not undefeatable. We've seen it happen, but I, I don't know. I have a love for point karate for some reason. I think it's, you know, it's cool. Yeah, it's fun. I did a lot of it. Did you? Yeah. And is there a difference between that and the kumite, or is that the... No, the kumite is the point fighting. Okay. And the kata is the forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up doing both of those, competing at a high level on the junior team. Um, and then I did a little bit with the senior team when I was 18 and 19. I did a couple Goodwill, international Goodwill matches, and uh, I, w I got my ass whooped a couple <laughs> times pretty bad. Because right. so, I wasn't at that level. I was yeah. a junior that they put at a higher level, yeah. and I just, you know, I got fucked up pretty bad a few times. Right. One time I got fucked up in France, and I had my nose split open, and that's when I actually quit because I had the falling out with my instructor during that time. So, yeah. Is, is but like, so in the Olympics, you saw the karate match where the guy getting knocked out, and then he loses. Yeah. What's that about? Like, what's the? It wasn't like that when I was a kid. Uh huh. If you got knocked out, you couldn't continue, <laughs> so you got DQ'd. Yeah. That's what it was like. Um, you didn't try to knock people out because if you did, you'd get penalized for not pulling. So they had. So it's extra fucking little snappy. If like, you're okay. being aggressive and in a point fight, really trying to knock someone out, they'll penalize you for doing that, even if you don't knock them out. But if you throw a nice technique and they get knocked out and they can't continue, when I was growing up, then you would win that match, right? Okay. But they changed the rules. They've changed the rules a few times. And when I watch it now, um, I mean, it never was that awesome. It totally sucked when Chuck Norris was champ. And then it was like <laughs> kind of at like a cool time in the 90s when I was doing it. It got cooler and cooler, and then it fell off a cliff and sucked after I left. That's <laughs> when I watch it. That's what I see. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like, and granted, I, was, I grew up as a kid in the 90s, right? So it was like karate was everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I, like all the movies I watched, it was like Mighty Ducks and karate. That was it. That's yeah. a karate kid yeah. changed everything. Yeah, for our generation. Yeah, so sure. my, yeah, dad, I, my dad, my dad was I took all about taekwondo it too. for I don't know a couple of months until I realized that you're, there was never going to be any actual sparring. It was all just katas. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I fell off of it immediately. I almost did karate instead of wrestling. Really? Yeah. So we we walked into a, uh, a dojo. Right, Dojo? Um, yep. They looked uh, at your head and said, no, 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 you need to go next door. <laughs> <laughs> you Craig, yeah, you caveman, get the fuck out of here. No, uh, we we did the, the standing and, you know, katas and stuff. Yeah. Um, and me and my brother were just always just, ever since we, I was three, four, I mean, I was a day old, he drugged me off the couch. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we were just at each other all the time. So explains our, a lot. Yeah, so yeah. our parents put us, was like, we got to get this energy out. And they took us there and... Uh, I was just like, okay, we did this, and then I walked up to the instructor at the end, and I was like, uh, when are we going to start breaking boards and ice and bricks, yeah. <laughs> you know? And he was like, not for a long time, and I was like, later, wrap it here. up, wrap <laughs> it up, we got to get fine, you know? And then we went into a wrestling room, and it was just full of mats, and kids fucking yeah. going crazy, and I was like, this is my spot, yeah. <laughs> you know? They wrangled it in. But. I run a kids program now in Utah, Um and I teach Jeet Kune Do to the neighbor kids and the cousins and, you know, whoever else wants to come over. 
And um, my little one, Lawson, he's 12 years old. And he's a real savage because yeah. he doesn't get hurt. And, like, he's been fighting his older brother, just like you were describing, yeah. Jordan. And uh, he, he had a Taekwondo friend. He came over and st- was training with us. And so then we sparred afterwards. And Lawson tuned him up pretty good. And I was kind of in the background, like, trying to get him to chill out. And I let it get to the point right where I saw the other kid about to cry. And then I stopped it, right? And then the next week, I was like, Lawson, listen. Brody does not want to get hit in the face over and over. Okay. So <laughs> do the same thing, but pull everything. Don't really hit him. Don't hurt him at all. Okay. Cause I, I could tell this kid was going to not come back and I want him to turn into a savage. And so right off the bat, Lawson just throws this beautiful hook kick. Bam. Heels right to the face. Jesus. And Brody just, and he pulled it, but he pulled it like an inch too late. So it tagged him, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> and I see the eyes start to well up and he's <laughs> starting to breathe. And I'm like, I can't fucking let this happen. And I go, Brody, I know you just got hit in the face, but you need to hit him back right now. And I looked at Lawson, and I was like, don't touch him, you know? And Lawson's like, okay, okay. And I'm like, get him, Brody. And Brody, like, (laughs) he starts coming at Lawson. And I go, if you're in pain, if you're emotional right now, you turn that around, and you attack him. You get him back now. And I made him, like, get after it, you know? Like, (laughs) Cobra Kai style. Stefan's got a 12-year-old fight club going on. I just knew it was like one of those moments where he can either bitch out and yeah. become traumatized and, and then probably the never want to do this, or he can. Oh, he didn't get hit that hard. He can learn to fucking get hit in the face yeah. and overcome this shit, and you're welcome, dude. You've got yeah. something that 90% of your friends will never fucking have, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. <sighs> what do you think? A quick one tonight? I, I'm thinking that it's a work night. We've got a uh, big weekend coming up. This was, this was, I appreciate Stefan sitting down with us on short yes, notice. I'm thank sure you. you've got, uh, thank you. thanks for having yeah, me, guys. I got, I got more questions I want to yeah, ask. You yeah, this stuff, is going to have to be a continue. This is a prelude to yep. the next episode yep. with you. All right. Thanks. Good night, everybody. Good night. All right.